Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. Well, if you've ever wanted an excuse to uh, wear your sunglasses at night, you may have it now. Uh, Facebook has uh, finally introduced their uh, rumored uh, glasses partnership with Ray-Ban. These, of course, uh, sit next to or, or arguably compete with some of the other smart glasses that we've seen in the marketplace. Things like Amazon's Echo Frames, the uh, Snap Spectacles, and even Lenovo's Think Reality A3 smart glasses. Uh, these glasses allow you to take photos, take videos. They have uh, built-in speakers, so you can take phone calls or listen to music. Unlike uh, some of these other smart glasses we've seen, they don't have AR capabilities, uh, but they have a quite an attractive price point starting at $299. They can accommodate prescription lenses. As someone who wears glasses, I appreciate that. Uh, there isn't a, a clear indication when you're wearing them that you're uh, really that you're recording. It's not super obvious. So there is also some privacy concerns that uh, open up with these type of devices. The ability to record and take photos without people necessarily knowing you're recording and taking photos. I, we've seen a lot of these products, Ross, and they always seem to me, at least right now, to be products that show some interesting technical capabilities, but are still in search of a, a great use case scenario. And, and I can think of some examples where these would be great uh, at a concert, when you want to capture some video at a sporting event, when you want to capture some video or take a photo, you can do so without holding your camera up in front of your face without you know, also holding your camera in front of other people. Uh, and I always see this at sporting events. Everybody's pulling out their camera and they're watching the game through their camera. <laughs> um, this changes that environment. So I actually could imagine that these look, uh, would, would work quite well in that type of situation. But I think we're still really looking for what the use case scenarios might be for these type of products. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, these are clearly uh, early days in terms of consumer applications for these kinds of um, wearables. Uh, I have to, you know, one thing I think Facebook did well in terms of rolling out this product is that it set expectations better than uh, I think it sometimes does with its products. Uh, they were very upfront uh, early on that this wasn't going to be a high-end, game-changing, augmented reality uh, device uh, like HoloLens or or something like that. Uh, really, it was intended to be more of a just get into the market, uh, relatively low functionality type of device, and uh, and that's what it is. Uh, I think it is a little surprising that they uh, included the imaging. To your point, uh, it certainly has some applications, but. Going back to even the early days of Google Glass, uh, that has always been one of the privacy uh, spooking, if you will, uh, functions of, uh, of, of uh, smart glasses. I, I tend to think of these products as, uh, as living below uh, products that can provide augmented reality. Uh, those products typically have more powerful processors. They... Um, 
they uh, they they have uh, you know as you mentioned screens uh, in them to to project uh, the holograms that you're seeing, and so you know the two big products uh, from major players that we've seen here, in addition to uh, the Facebook ones. I mean, previous previous versions of Spectacles also fell into this category, uh, although uh, the latest one does have augmented reality capabilities and is, you know, quite a bit more expensive. Uh, that's the other thing that tends to set them apart. Uh, but you've got this thing uh, with with a brand. I think that was a smart move, partnering with uh, Ray Ban uh, for this product, uh, coming in at three hundred, and then you've got the Echo Frames uh, coming in at about you know the second generation. Uh, at $180, uh, and uh, I would say the one of the advantages that the uh, Echo Frames has is that it's really a conduit for Alexa, uh, and so the uh, that that's one of the key differentiators uh, for uh, for this type of product uh, when you're talking about hands-free functionality. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this product evolves. To your point, I do think Facebook did a great job of uh, announcing the product and setting expectations uh, where where they are. And it is interesting that Facebook didn't attempt to do more given their tremendous investment and their their appetite to really define extended reality. Obviously, everything that they're doing around virtual reality, but Augmented reality isn't that far away and, and often is is lumped in together with a virtual reality. So it'd be a natural place for Facebook to try to uh, to play. I'm, I'm sure a lot of that comes down to target price point. You know, uh, the Oculus Quest starts at $300. This product is $300. You know, that there's certainly some psychological advantage to, to being around there. Uh, whereas augmented reality headsets... Uh, you know, tend to be well above $500. Uh, so you mentioned the Think Reality A3 that was shown off uh, virtually this week at um, Lenovo's uh, Tech World event. Uh, that is a product that can work with PCs or uh, phones, or at least one model of Motorola phone. Uh, and uh, you know, it's um, it's more of a harbinger of of an augmented reality experience that is more affordable, but still significant significantly uh, more expensive and capable than than what these products are providing. Uh, but again, you could argue that Facebook and Amazon, with these lower end products, are honing in more on on a practical on practical consumer applications. You know, it may not be game changing. You could always listen to music with your headphones. You know, you don't need smart glasses for that, but at least it's well understood functionality. So, And it shows Facebook's continued experimentation in hardware where there isn't a clear tie-in to, to Facebook platform here. It mm-hmm. isn't that, you know, you take a photo and immediately post to your wall and then post to Instagram uh, it's not even clear that you can post directly from the device, at least not today. Uh, in fact, you have to have it connected to either an, an iPhone or an Android, uh, you know, an iOS device or an Android device for it to fully work. So uh, pr- presumably the uh, the storage is happening 
you know, for the most part off, off the device. And then from there you'd go in if you wanted to upload it to Instagram or Facebook or, or share it. Otherwise you do it on the device. Um, so it, it's interesting to me also to see Facebook not feel compelled to force the integration with their key platform where they are trying to drive content to that to that platform. They uh, are presuming, I guess, that the user will will still turn to their mobile device and upload it to one of their, their platforms. They don't need to build it in directly. But it's a good point, Sean. You know, I think it, I think it would have made sense for them to tied into Instagram more actively, uh, just like Snap, you know, has uh, tried to integrate spectacles in, into their core service. And, and maybe Facebook is always uh, cognizant of antitrust concerns. Mm. Un- unlike Snap, yes. Unlike Snap. And so they, uh, they walk gingerly around some of these integrations and they want the products to be able to, to stand on their own. So, right. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see the uptake for this device. Uh, thus far, all of these smart glasses have been experiments for the organizations, I think, and uh, and we'll see how users use them. But this device definitely adds a fashion component, I think, that others haven't been able to do or haven't done yet, at least to the extent that Facebook is, like you mentioned, partnering with a major brand, uh, relatively attractive price point. And uh, we'll we'll see how it how it goes from here. Uh, this week we saw a lot of product announcements, and uh, they they come in advance of Apple's uh, big fall event and announcement next week, which we'll uh, cover in next week's episode. Surely we'll have some more information to talk about uh, their what what we see with the phones, what we see with uh, the Apple Watch. We were already seeing rumors that the uh, Apple phone they may um, support satellite uh, telephony services. So we'll see what type of announcements we get. And, and we're in that time of the year where a lot of companies are making major hardware announcements uh, in advance of the, the fall holiday season. Now, whether they'll be able to deliver any of these products given supply chain constraints that are still quite, uh, quite prominent in influencing, you know, supply chains remains to be seen, but we're seeing a lot of, uh, announcements. We saw, uh, Ross, as you noted, the other, uh, the other boot drop on the Amazon TV announcement. They've launched their fire TV Omni series, it's their first smart TV integrated uh, operating system starting at uh, $410 and will we'll ship next month. We had a lot of other announcements from Amazon as well. They announced updates this week to their Luna Gaming game streaming service. They'll be including Chromebook support, um, which I think is a, a smart move from them. They also introduced a, a family tier at two ninety nine a month, so that's uh, an interesting move for them. We had uh, a new Fire Stick launch from Amazon as well, and uh, that has been their core product in that area in the past, allowing you to connect it to other televisions. Of course, this is the first time they've they've launched their own television series, and then just some other Amazon announcements this week. They continue to roll out their cashierless Whole Foods here in Washington, D.C., we're going to get one. And, and actually, just down the street from where I live, 
there's a grocery store that closed and there's been a lot of rumors in the community that uh, it will be an Amazon store. So mm. we'll, we'll see if that ends up materializing, but they continue to push that out uh, further. And, and I know that uh, outside the U.S., others are moving into this space as well. Uh, Carrefour has been opening similar stores. Uh, they just opened one last week or or really the beginning of this week in Dubai. So we're seeing other grocers doing this uh, similar thing. A couple of other announcements from Amazon as well um, on different uh, elements of, of its business. Uh, Amazon Care, uh, it's, uh, it's at home, uh, which delivers uh, some at-home care options, uh, looking to expand uh, into, into more cities. Uh, we've talked uh, previously in the podcast about how uh, strong an opportunity uh, health represents, uh, not only for Amazon, but, but Apple and other companies, uh, and, uh, and also uh, offering to pay college tuition uh, for its uh, hourly employees. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's been certainly a lot of discussion about the dynamics of of the Amazon uh, warehouse, uh, you know, conditions, uh, and uh, and I think Amazon's been eager to show that there is uh, is opportunity. Um, it's not just, you know, I, I think it it strengthens their case when they can say, you know, look, it's not just about providing somewhat higher wages uh, than might be available in in other opportunities. Uh, but there is, you know, a chance for advancement, uh, if not, you know, necessarily on on the warehouse floor, uh, but an investment in in the workers' future. Um, so, uh, you know, taking a, a bit of a page, I guess, from uh, Starbucks in, in terms of the uh, types of benefits that uh, it has offered its its uh, hourly uh, employees, and Walmart likewise just uh, mm. introduced kind of similar comparable benefits. And so I, I think it speaks to a couple of things. It obviously speaks to the uh, tight labor market, especially for these type of jobs. Great point. And yep. so uh, they're trying to attract workers. A Amazon has 750,000 or so hourly workers. So they have a pretty massive workforce. If a lot of those employees take advantage of this benefit, it, it will... Uh, obviously be an expensive benefit for Amazon. And I don't know exactly what parameters they've, they've put around this, but it also probably speaks a little to the, to the uh, type of worker that Amazon is looking to attract. It might be a younger worker. Perhaps they're, they're indicating that they are okay with some turnover. Obviously, if you're, uh, sending all of your hourly workers to college, they probably aren't going to stay in that hourly job for for a long time they do have to have worked at amazon for at least 90 days uh before they're eligible for the benefits so uh, it will probably keep some of these uh workers there for a few years while they take advantage of the benefit and then they will move on so it'll be interesting to see of those nearly th three quarter million workers how many take advantage of the benefit and uh use it to uh do higher education. Seven hundred fifty k, by the way, is uh, higher than the population of Seattle, uh, and uh, about um, sixty thousand more than the population of Boston. So that gives you an idea of 
how big a number that is. It's uh, it's incredible. So, yeah, yep. So it'll be. Uh, I think it's a good move by Amazon. And like I said, Walmart uh, announced that they were going to pay 100 percent of college tuition and books for their associates in July. So uh, really, Amazon needed to to follow suit there. Um, and, and a good move. Hopefully it uh, benefits a lot of these workers. We're also seeing wages go up as well. So uh, that, you know, the worker has a, uh, a strong negotiating position right now, given the tightness that exists in the labor market. In other news this week, Lenovo hosted their device forum. It was a virtual conference. I know, Ross, that uh, you attended that. Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the announcements we saw there. Yeah, I tuned in uh, for uh, for the two hour keynote, uh, and uh, the the event is called Lenovo Tech World, and it really is a, a three hundred sixty degree uh, look at its business. Uh, there was a lot of focus on uh, how it is uh, working to offer virtually everything uh, computing related on demand uh, devices, computing horsepower partnerships with Intel, SAP, uh, under an initiative called uh, TrueScale. Uh, but, uh, but on the device side, and on the device side, there were some announcements. Uh, they had a follow-up to the Chromebook Duet, uh, which has been their most popular uh, Chromebook since it was launched. Unsurprisingly, since it's, you can find it for about, you know, maybe $250 or less. Uh, and it is a very, you know, it's a small, lightweight, very portable, convertible type of uh, two-in-one Chromebook with a detachable keyboard, detachable kickstand, very, very cute product, uh, kind of, you know, iPad-like or Surface Go-like. And they're following that up with a more expensive, uh, larger model uh, that competes more directly with uh, the HP Chromebook uh, X2 that uh, I've been fairly impressed with and uh, wrote about uh, for ZDNet uh, a little while ago. Uh, there's, um, uh, but but really, I, I thought some of the more interesting announcements were less about individual devices, but uh, how they are working together. So uh, Lenovo announced something called Project Unity, which allows you to use your Android, uh, at least your Lenovo Android uh, tablet. Uh, as a second screen uh, to your Lenovo Windows-based PC. Uh, and uh, one of the interesting differentiators there is that, you know, there have been solutions out there that basically turn a tablet into uh, a dumb monitor. Uh, but this actually allows you to keep your uh, Android applications working while providing for that second screen functionality uh, since it is basically an Android app. Uh, so it, uh, it it doesn't preclude you from using other functionality of the tablet, which is pretty cool. And of course, Lenovo uh, also responsible for uh, Motorola phones. They announced their own set of screen-enhancing <laughs> approaches that they're calling Ready For. Uh, and uh, two of the first initiatives are Ready For TV and Ready For PC uh, ways to extend your screen uh, onto these uh, larger display areas. Um, you know, both, uh, you know, we mentioned the uh, Think Reality A3 before. Uh, those work both with Lenovo PCs. Uh, you need a, a pretty powerful uh, PC to use it. 
uh, and at least one model of Motorola phones, uh, different functionality in different scenarios. So it's uh, it just goes to show, you know, this continuing focus on providing flexibility apart from the confines uh, of a device's screen limitations, you know, whether it's extending that screen uh, or en envisioning new uh, applications that can provide multiple screens uh, without, in augmented reality, say, uh, without necessarily having to uh, have, uh, have a physical presence uh, of, you know, four or five <laughs> Uh, extra monitors. Uh, so, um, uh, but, you know, uh, certainly a lot of enterprise stuff and a very, to me anyway, an interesting contrast between what you're seeing uh, from HP uh, since the split of, uh, of HP client PCs and server PCs versus uh, HP Enterprise, which has been more services and software uh, driven. Um, and uh, I think you know, the next few years, uh, particularly as a lot of the cloud and edge technologies mature, uh, will offer, um, you know, some interesting uh, criteria by which to judge the efficacy of breaking uh, that computing proposition into two companies, as HP did, versus uh, keeping it intact, uh, as Lenovo has. A lot of the products that we're seeing launch now are really uh, addressing the new hybrid work environment or the work from home environment and, you know, the ability to use tablets in, in multiple ways, use them as secondary screens feels to me like it, uh, it has more meaning now in an environment where we're working from home and, and we're building out these home offices. Uh, we saw this week, a number of announcements for our, from Google around their workspace, uh, including some product announcements from Logitech, where they uh, are highlighting the the functionality that they're trying to build out for the for the uh, you know the hybrid worker. So they introduced uh, a new dock, the Logi Dock, which is really uh, designed for the for the worker who's at home working remote, needing to build out their uh, their office. And then they introduced a, a number of uh, meeting room technologies that uh, are certified to work with Google Meet, allow you to easily join a Google Meet call. Obviously, Google Meet is the video platform there with with uh, Google Workspace. And so um, th this I've seen uh, has been a real challenge for workers as they've returned to the office. They're not all returning to the office at the same time. And so they're trying to do video conferences, and they've got uh, people in a conference room, but then they also have often as many people, if not more, trying to dial in remotely. And it, it, what they end up doing often is having multiple people sitting in front of their laptops in the conference room, having what looks like a traditional uh, you know, Zoom call with everybody dispersed. And so Logitech has introduced some, uh, some new technologies to help that conference room experience and allow people to easily join the, the conference call. And, and they've got uh, some products that vary based upon the size of the room. Of course, all of this comes in a week when Microsoft announced that uh, they are not going to announce when people are coming back to work because they <laughs> have to keep changing that as the pandemic has rolled forward. Uh, and so they're, they've halted making that announcement. 
Uh, I, I saw an article uh, earlier this week that suggested, you know, S- Silicon Valley was, uh, it was much easier to implement a remote work from home policy than to uh, revoke that remote work from home policy. And I think a lot of companies are struggling with what does returning to the office look like? And more importantly, when is it going to happen? And uh, while that conversation is going on, you're seeing a lot of companies introduce technologies to help bridge the gap between uh, a a workforce that's at home, as well as a workforce that uh, is in the office and how you can connect them and keep productivity high. So I actually really like some of the Logitech products. They look very clean. And, uh, you know, hopefully if they, if they work as they should, can streamline some of the work processes that, uh, that are taking place. Yeah. Um, Google, uh, catching up a, a little bit here. We've seen a fair, uh, number of, uh, these dedicated, uh, video, uh, conferencing products for, for teams, uh, and for, of course, zoom, uh, over the past few years from, Logitech, Poly, uh, um, Crestron, uh, and uh, and other companies. Uh, I thought one of the more interesting elements of this announcement, which came on the, uh, which was attached to uh, the latest in what has just been a frequent uh, barrage of, of updates regarding uh, Google Workspace. Uh, Google really putting uh, its foot on the pedal there, I think, eager to uh, maintain the momentum that it, uh, it, it discovered during, during the pandemic uh, with, uh, with Workspace. Uh, and, and so one of the, uh, the partnerships that they announced uh, for Meet was much tighter integration with Cisco uh, uh, WebEx Meet. Um, so there will be enhanced uh, levels of, of interoperability there in terms of uh, being able to use uh, Meet-optimized hardware for, for WebEx uh, Meet and, uh, uh, and, and other uh, WebEx uh, products. So uh, here are, of course, two companies approaching collaboration from very different perspectives. Uh, and so I think that uh, having them team up is, uh, so to speak, uh, a, uh, uh, an example of, of the reaction to Microsoft uh, integrating Meet into Windows 11, uh, which uh, we should be hearing more about in the coming weeks as it's uh, slated to launch in, uh, in early October. Uh, also, Sean, to your point about Silicon Valley culture, uh, you know, not not the only element of it that is uh, under scrutiny this week, as the Theranos uh, trial uh, began for uh, Elizabeth Holmes, and uh, I've seen countless articles referring to the ethos of uh, "fake it till you make it," and the question, you know, as as the trial has started, uh, of course, um, you know, the government's case is that uh, Holmes willingly. Uh, ignored uh, and, and deceived uh, the public about uh, the capabilities of the device, whereas Holmes's defense is that, you know, like any other startup, it was trying to uh, just make its products better uh, and, uh, and, and get them out into the marketplace. So uh, that will certainly be a, a fascinating one to watch in the, uh, in the coming weeks. 
Yeah, I, I read the uh, book Bad Blood, mm-hmm. which was written by John Carrier. Carrier. And, yeah. It's quite, he, it's he, a, it's, he just started a new podcast to focus on the trial. Uh, I would bet that that will be uh, something definitely worth listening to. I know a lot mm-hmm. of us are watching closely. And the when, book when is you, a, When you want a break from read. expansive, sure. That's right. <laughs> well, that's probably a great place to end this week's episode of Techspansive. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week to have uh, a deeper conversation around some of the announcements we see from Apple and from others that are launching products this time of year. Uh, again, I'm Sean Duberback. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Duberback. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thank you for listening. <laughs>